Um, if you live anywhere near Hoy Road, then you share the same frustration that I do. There is a, a significant road work project going on close to our neighborhood. And Hoy Road has been under construction now for 15 months with no end in sight. What they said initially is they were just going to widen the road from two lanes to three lanes. So in my you know, estimation, that's like a 15-day deal, right? You just bulldoze this side and then bulldoze that side, repave it, reline it, we're done, right? Uh, in my mind, that's such a, a, such a simple, easy, painless thing to do. Well, here we are 15 months in, and y'all, I was driving this morning past the road work, looking down as I'm driving and these, these massive holes in the ground underneath where the pavement used to be, and they're installing these drainage systems. I mean, they're nowhere near being done. And of course, these people know what they're doing, and they know something I didn't know. They know how truly slow and painful and arduous and difficult such a project is. It's, you can't just repave over old pavement. There's a lot more to it than that, right? It's painful, and it's slow, and it's difficult work. Well, as we, as we pick up today in the middle of John chapter 15, we've got to reckon with something today that is, is just honestly... It comes to us maybe as an unexpected truth and certainly an unpleasant one. Because up to this point, we're in the middle of what's called the upper room discourse. If you've got a Bible with red letters for the words of Jesus, if they're in red, John 13 through 17 is almost all red. It's a lot of Jesus' words as he prepares the disciples for his departure. He's just about to go to the cross here in John 15. But all these words seemingly are such encouraging, enriching words. He's talking to them about love and peace and the joy that he's going to give them and going to leave with them even after he's gone. This, this strengthening, comforting his disciples. We even saw it last week as Paul preached for us from John 15, 13. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this. And he who gives his life for his friends. Jesus loves us and calls us his friends. And so it could be for the disciples, and maybe even for us, as we're reading through John, man, this, this seems very smooth and very easy. This life we have with Jesus, I mean, this is like, it's like a picnic in the meadow, the way Jesus is talking about it. All of these wonderful promises he's made to us. But here in the middle of John 15, we, we come hurtling back down to earth a little bit, because Jesus is going to give us not something in contradiction to his love. He loves us. I hope that's been clear. But it's a reality that we have to face, that not everybody loves us if we follow Christ. And so the, the road that we thought perhaps would be smooth and easy is, is in fact actually painful and at times arduous. So look with me at John 15, verse 18, and see what Jesus has to say about this. He looks at his disciples, the 11 now who remain, and he speaks to us as well. Verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Now, it should, we should stop here and define terms before we go any further. When Jesus says the world, that is, that's meant to be more of a general term that speaks of the moral order of things. 
Uh, the world refers to sinful humanity separated from God. So when Jesus says the world, he doesn't mean here that every single individual person in the world hates him and hates his followers, but that the world as a system is in darkness and therefore is opposed to the light that Christ brings. The world at large in the world's thinking and believing and behaving fights back against God. And that's the way, y'all, it's always been since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. In fact, if we go back to John 3, there's a place in John 3 where the testimony is given. This is the judgment, John 3 says, that light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness rather than the light. Light has come, that's Jesus, but the world, men, love darkness rather than the light. That explains why Jesus was overall rejected and despised. But that's the world here. The world is a more general term. And then we have that really awful word, hate. Right? Jesus says the world will hate you as it has hated me. And again, the idea here is not that every individual person is going to hate Jesus and hate us, no. But the world does stand in opposition to Jesus and his gospel. There's enmity here. And so that word hate to us may sound so extreme, but the idea is any opposition, any pushback, any rejection of Jesus and his word, Jesus says, will also come to those who follow me. The world and my followers are going to be, in some sense, at enmity all the time because the systems and the beliefs that govern the world are going to be at odds with the righteousness and the grace of God. Now, I shouldn't really need to preach that, right? Not only the Bible, but also history. I mean, our own experience should tell us that something is, is true about what Jesus has said, but he's going to get more specific with us as we go. So when Jesus says, the world hates me and will hate you, right? Not every individual person is in mind here, but a sinful and darkened world will not welcome and receive the light. So this for us, this means that those who walk in the light, meaning those who have trusted and who confess Jesus, we're going to find ourselves at odds with the way things are. And, uh, and, and, and in that sense, we become like Jesus. That's what Jesus experienced as he walked the earth. So the particulars are going to come in just a minute. But I, want you to, I don't want to miss this dividing line that we're given right here. We see it in verse 19. Jesus says, if you were of the world... The world would love its own. Meaning, if we, if we still belong to the thinking and living of the world, then there would be no rejection. There'd be no problem. We would be received. We'd be celebrated. We'd be one of the crowd. But you are not of the world, Jesus says. Not anymore. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Now, y'all, why is it that we are chosen out of the world? What is it that makes us different? Um, I try to say this fairly regularly because I need my own heart to, to hear and believe this. I hope we know that, that Christians are not superior. We're not a superior race of people. We're not better than anybody else. That's not what makes us Christian. That may be something we like to think and tell ourselves. I love to think I'm better than other people. That makes me feel good about me. But that has nothing to do with the Christian faith. That is a sin, in fact, that corrupts the Christian faith. 
Because, y'all, the only reason we have any distinction from the world is Jesus says, I chose you out. It's because Jesus has graciously saved us. That's the only reason we're here, not because we're better. We might be worse, in fact. But that's what makes grace all the sweeter. It didn't matter how good or bad we were. When Jesus found us in sin, he saved us by grace. That's what makes you a Christian. That's what Paul says in Colossians 1, that we have been rescued out of the domain of darkness, out of the world as it stands opposed to God. And we've been transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Whereas we once were of the world, lost in darkness, we no longer find our identity there because we've been made children of God. We've been made alive in Christ. We're not better than anybody. And so when I say that the world is at enmity with those who follow Jesus, it's not we're the good guys and the bad guys are out there and they're against us. No, we are purely saved by grace. And therefore, because we are in Christ by his mercy, that makes us in some sense alien to the world. That's what Peter says in First and Second Peter. We are strangers and aliens in this world. We are in the world, but no longer of the world, because the light has an enemy in darkness, and darkness will oppose the light at every turn. So as we, as we return now to the scripture, can we freely acknowledge this? I, I can say this without apology. I've always felt this way. First time I ever came to this verse, maybe in college, I read this and I thought, man, I don't want anybody to hate me. I, I don't like the thought of being hated. It's not something that gives me this perverse kind of pleasure. Some people like being hated. I'm not one of those people, okay? I cringe at the thought that anybody anywhere, in person or online, thinks ill of me. I want everybody to like me. I want to be loved. So what is this? How does a person like me reconcile the scripture here? Well, Jesus gets more specific as we go. So look with me at verse 20 as he helps us to think through it. Verse 20, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So as disciples of Jesus, he draws the line in the sand. You should expect the same response and the same treatment that I got. If you're my disciple, they're going to treat you like they treated me, whether good or bad. If they persecuted Jesus, they're going to do the same to us because we bear the name of Jesus. But you see, he actually gives us a positive in there too. If they receive Christ, if they keep his word, if they obey him, he says to the disciples, they're going to receive you and obey you also because you're my ambassadors. So it works both ways. It's not purely a negative thing. Those who reject Christ will reject his followers. Those who receive Christ will embrace his followers as family. And y'all, if you're you're curious as to how this plays itself out in the Bible, you only need to read the book of Acts. And I would encourage you, even just a cursory reading of Acts shows that this is lived out in real time, exactly what Jesus says, that the disciples oftentimes were received and people were saved. We see that all throughout the book of Acts. Just as often, or perhaps more often, they were rejected and they were persecuted. But through it all, the focus, the attention, was not so much on the disciples, it was on Jesus. They were persecuted for his sake and his name. They were were seeing salvation because his grace was falling on those who believed. 
And so the focus was not on us, it was on him. And that's what made, of course, the salvation all the more glorious. This is the work of God, not man. But it also made the persecution more tolerable and even joyful. Y'all, you don't need to turn there, but there's a place in Acts 5, this is not the only place it happens, where the disciples, the apostles are, are persecuted, they're taken captive, they're beaten and threatened. Do not talk about this Jesus anymore. And they leave. This is Acts 5.41. Luke tells us what happens. After their persecution, it says, they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That was their mentality. Jesus gladly suffered for our sake, and now we rejoice for the privilege of suffering for his sake. And so, y'all, it's, it's fair, I hope, for us to carve out a point here before we go forward. For the apostles in the early church, being treated as Jesus was treated was not a curse to them. It was not a deterrent that kept them away from the faith. It was a privilege for us to suffer as he suffered, the one who died for us. And so if we recoil at this idea that, man, if I follow Jesus, people aren't going to like me? I don't know if I can handle that. To really know Christ and his grace is to rejoice in being affiliated with him, as the, as the apostles did. So Jesus has gotten a little more specific. They're going to persecute you because that's who I came to be, the persecuted one and you are now with me. But he gets even more specific. Now, Jesus started talking about the world in general, the world at large. But now we're going to see as he speaks to the apostles, he's going to get a little more specific, present tense, about the religious leaders of the day. Not just the world at large, but the people that persecuted and ultimately crucified Christ. That's who you need to watch out for. Look at verse 21. He says, But all these things they will do to you now for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So now we get a clearer sense of this, this running theme. All through, if you've been with us throughout the Gospel of John, or if you've read it on your own, Jesus has made this point many times now concerning the Jewish authorities, the most religious people of the day. These are people who claim to know God, and they claim to be the ones who speak for God. But through their rejection of Jesus, they reveal that they don't actually know God at all. They don't know him at all. And they can't plead ignorance in this case because both Jesus' words and his works were clear evidence that he is the divine son of God come to reveal God to the world. And so in spite of all Jesus' true words and his miraculous works, these religious leaders hardened themselves all the more, all the more. They got colder, not warmer. They got crustier, against the Son of God, every good thing that he did. 
And Jesus says, when they reject me, they'll reject you. And that's not a matter of indifference. That's hatred. And he goes back to that word. They hated me without cause. And so they have hated the Father also. And y'all, we, my temptation, because I, I like, I want, every, I, love, I want to be liked, right? I want to soften stuff like this. And so, well, hey, you know, hate doesn't really mean what it seems to mean. But I just don't think there's any way around it. That there is at the bottom, at the bottom, at the foundation of even the religious people of Jesus' day, a pure hatred, a rejection of what he came to be and to say and to do. And so here's, maybe this is maybe a little confusing here because Jesus started out very generally, the world, and now he's getting very specific. Here's something I think we ought to take to heart. When we speak about the world and, and the world's opinion of Jesus, Jesus is saying that in a sense, he is widely rejected by both the Gentiles and the Jews. Or if we want to use more modern language, Jesus is rejected generally by both secular people and also religious people. We might tend to think religious people receive Jesus just fine, but no, that was not his experience. In fact, his greatest persecution came at the hands of the deeply religious. And so when Jesus says, they're going to hate me, he's, that's equal opportunity hate here. He's not just talking about you know, certain categories of people that we have in our mind. He's talking about any human being, regardless of where they stand on the secular religious spectrum, they're going to have a, they're going to have a problem, potentially, with Jesus and with his followers, okay? Don't be surprised if they hate you. Now, again, I get, ugh, I, get I, don't li- I don't like the word hate, okay? I just don't like it. So, so maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'm wrong, and this whole hate thing is being overblown, right? Because here's the truth, y'all. I don't, really, I don't know anybody who hates Jesus, do you? I mean, like, really hates Jesus? Not, certainly not in our context. In the, I mean, at the very least, people have a favorable opinion of Jesus, even if they don't really believe and follow him. I mean, most people at least like his, his ethics, you know, his, his courage, uh, his love for the poor. You know, they, like, he's an admirable person. Who, you know, who hates him? But here's something I think Jesus is trying to, to, to nail down for us today. This, is, this hatred is not just some sort of cultural... You know, um, well, people like like you know, political parties hate each other because we have these beliefs. You know, now it's this. This is much deeper than just that. People don't hate Jesus because of his culture, or his skin color, or his ethical commands. I've never heard anybody say that. This is a theological issue at its root. It's theological. It goes down to the deepest part of the human heart, and maybe I, I maybe I can show us why. When we proclaim the good news of Jesus, we call it the gospel. That's what the Bible calls it, the good news. Y'all, the good news is, is just that. It's good. But it's extremely abrasive if we're honest about it. It's extremely hard to take. Let, let me give you a little survey here of the good news from start to finish. I'm not going to give every detail, of course, but I'm gonna give you, let me give you a 45-second uh, flyover here. The gospel that is revealed in the Bible tells us that there is one God revealed to us in the scripture who is eternal and altogether perfect. That's who God is. And God created everything. He created you and me, every person, in his own image. And what that means is all of us have God's stamp upon us 
And we owe Him everything. If there is a God who made me, then I owe Him my gratitude, my allegiance, my love, my affection. Everything about me is His because He's my Creator. Not only that, but God is righteous and holy. And therefore, He holds me and all people, He holds us accountable for how we live. We can't just live autonomously or any way we want. The Scripture says that God is a judge who will judge the world in righteousness. And all who sin fall short of His glory, and therefore we stand under His just condemnation. That's how the Gospel begins. That's not how it ends, of course. There's good news in that. That God, being rich in mercy and rich in love, sent His own Son into the world to bear our sin in Himself. To take our condemnation onto Himself and go to the cross to die for the sin of the world. And God then raised His Son Jesus from the dead in victory over sin and death forever. So that now all who look to Jesus and trust in Him may be freely forgiven of sin and reconciled to God and granted eternal life with God forever. Now, here's the deal. If you believe that message like I do, then those words are very precious to us. Even the hard stuff is precious. We freely acknowledge our our belonging to God and our standing under His righteousness, right? If you believe it. But there's a reason the Apostle Paul says that the gospel to the world, the gospel is repulsive and foolish. Nobody likes being told that we are accountable to God and that he will hold us accountable and judge us for our choices if they don't align with his law and command. Nobody, and and even the good news part, how many people love the thought that God will accept me not based on my good works and efforts, but only if I trust in what someone else has done for me? And that's an exclusive trust. No other way to be accepted only by the person of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. At every turn, the gospel offends the human heart. It offends a darkened world. And so the world, as Jesus defines it, stands in opposition even to the good news so often that we love and proclaim. And Jesus says, if you follow me, that's the life that you will experience in this world. These are sobering words. And they're meant to be sobering. But they're not meant to scare us. The goal, when Jesus shares this with his disciples, with us, the goal is not to scare us off. The goal is actually to fortify us, to strengthen us. Y'all, in just a matter of hours from John 15, Jesus is going to go to the cross to take away the sin of the world. And consider this, when Jesus says, the world has hated me, so I'll show them. That's not in the Bible. When Peter speaks of Jesus on the cross, though being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Jesus didn't come to get back at the world that hated him. He came to lay down his life for the very sinners who rejected him. And so y'all here in John 15, Jesus is not saying, guys, the world is in much worse shape than I thought. 
I mean, I'm sorry. This, 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 is, this is too much for me. I kind of feel like it's a lost cause, so I'm going to go ahead and leave. No. This is, it's his dying and his rising that bring hope to the darkened world. This is precisely what he came to do. And so Jesus, even as he departs and plans to die and rise again and ascend to the Father, even then, he has no intention of leaving us, abandoning us to this darkness. Now look at verse 26. Jesus says, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Good news. The Spirit of God, the very Spirit of God, is going to come upon the world bringing the light of God's glory and grace to the darkness. And we're going to see this much more in detail next week as we get later on in chapter 16. Jesus says the Spirit's going to come. And what's more, not just a general work of the Spirit, but Jesus says the Spirit is going to work in you as well as you testify of me. Yes, you're going to face rejection and opposition. Yes, you will live as resident aliens, never quite at home in this world, but you will not do it alone, and you will not do it in your own power. The Spirit of God will come upon you to help you. Now, I said this a minute ago. Jesus is, is fortifying here. He's not scaring us. He's not calling us into our own little communes separate from the rest of the world because the world's bad and we're good, right? We're going to just sequester ourselves and wait to heaven. You know, eventually he'll come back and get us. No. Jesus is strengthening us because he's leaving us in the world to serve as his ambassadors for the world's sake and for ours. That we might live as his disciples and grow in his grace and share his gospel. That's why we need strengthening. We don't need to be taken out. We need to be fortified because he's leaving us in. And y'all, I think the temptation has always been, it was a temptation even in the early church, that because it's hard, we can just assimilate back. It's really tough to be a Christian. Think about how tough it would have been when there were only a couple of hundred Christians in those early days in the face of the Roman Empire. Think about how that would have been. There was no Bible belt back then. We were at this dude's house, man, meeting at midnight because they were out there looking for us. How easy it would have been to say, y'all, this was great, <laughs> but I, just, I can't do this. I can't live this way. And I'm going to assimilate back in. Read the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to Christians who were maybe teetering at times on that edge of going back to what they once were so that it wouldn't be so hard anymore. But Jesus will not allow us that option because he loves us. Because it's his heart to see us through. And so let's creep into chapter 16. We're going to cheat a little bit and go into chapter 16 as we close this morning. Because this really is a continuation of the thought. Jesus' heart is not for our harm here. He loves us. And therefore, chapter 16, verse 1, these things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. When the temptation comes to hide your faith, to back away, to assimilate back into the old way, no, Jesus says the ministry of the Spirit will sustain you. You will not stumble in the day of difficulty. That's why I'm telling you now. 
Verse 2, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me, but these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Jesus says some specific stuff here. He says, one, they're going to put you out of the synagogue, which was their way of saying, we're taking your standing and your reputation and everything that you love away from you. That's how precious the synagogue was to the Jewish people. We're going to ruin you if you follow Jesus. And what's worse, Jesus says, some of you will be killed. And they're going to kill you while quoting scripture. They're going to think they're doing service to God in persecuting you. It's going to get bad. And as disquieting as that is, Jesus is simply saying, you're going to be treated like I was treated. Don't be surprised. That's what Peter says later on. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is happening among you as if something strange were going on. No, they did it to Christ, and therefore they'll do it to us. Be prepared for the day to come. Now, y'all, this is one of those things... In, growing up in the American South, nothing quite like this has ever really happened to me. And I suspect that for most of us, that's the case. We've never been treated like what Jesus is warning for his disciples or what we see in the book of Acts or what we hear about happening even right now among our brothers and sisters in the world. Because in the Bible Belt, this has been my experience at least, being a Christian is not only acceptable, it's socially advantageous. It's a good thing to be a Christian. It opens doors for you, potentially, to be a Christian. And therefore, I don't have much concept of this kind of threat, right? And maybe we never will. I, don't, I can't re, you know, predict the future, but maybe here in central Mississippi, we'll never really know the, the kind of heat that Jesus is warning his disciples about. But we can have the kind of heart that he's calling them to have. So that maybe one day, if the day comes, we'll be prepared. But even if it doesn't, we'll, kind of have, we'll have the kind of heart that treasures and loves Jesus Christ so much that nothing in this world can threaten us. Nothing in this world can shake us from our foundation. That's the point and the hope. That whether you and I are ever you know, looking death in the eyes because we are Christians, that we're prepared to, because we have so treasured Jesus Christ in our hearts that nothing else can compare. Nothing else can stand as a threat to us, because we've known the love he's had for us, the love that sent him to the cross, and therefore we would count it rejoicing if we got to suffer for him as well. Easier said than done. You never know till you get there, right? But y'all, I do want to give us just a, a, a fair warning. I mean, you, you watch the news, you're aware of the culture. The temptation here may not be so much that, hey, I'll go to jail for being a Christian. Maybe. That might happen in my lifetime. But what's more likely to happen is that the Christian way of thinking and being, our ethics, are going to be so put to shame in our culture, so laughed at and mocked and considered hateful even, bigoted, simply for believing what the Bible says that we'll be tempted to withdraw, to make concessions, to say, yeah, well, you know, I don't really believe that or that or that or that. Just the important stuff. And to cut pages out of our Bible, right? 
or to make friends by, by denying what I really am and who I really am because I just, I just want to be liked. Now, that threat is ever-present, and my ex- expectation is that it'll only get worse in our culture over time. And so we have to make up our minds today, right where we sit, that if I have received a love so great that Jesus would suffer for me, if I have received a love so wonderful that Jesus would call me his friend and lay himself down for me, for you, then would I count it a privilege, a rejoicing thing, to lay down my life for him? Even if it never comes to pass in this life, would I be willing to say, Christ is more precious to me than anything the world can threaten to take away? Y'all, in the the book of Revelation, we're giving this wonderful little glimpse of what is to come in the future, In Revelation 12, we read about the devil, the accuser, being thrown down in defeat, and then it speaks of the church. That's us. And it says, they, the church, overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. They did not love their own lives even in the face of death because they had the blood of the Lamb. They had the forgiveness of sins, the friendship of Christ. Y'all, this the road of the Christian life is not smooth. There are all sorts of difficulties, both now and in the future, awaiting us. We need to be clear on that, because we're not at home in this world the way that we once were. We're not against the world. Let's be clear on that. The world may be against us, but we're not against the world, because our Savior was not against the world. He loves the world. Because Jesus loves the world, he purposely keeps us in the world so that we may be lights to the world. And so, y'all, as as we close, there's this one command that's given us in Scripture. Most of what Jesus says is simply descriptions of the way things are and will be, but there's one little command. He says to the disciples, testify of me. He says, you will testify of me which means no matter the reception, no matter the threat, whether good or bad, he says, you hold forth the gospel of my grace to the world, and you trust me with the results. And so our call is this, y'all. Whatever the world is or does or believes is not under our control. It never was. But by God's grace, he has rescued us from what we were. And so now our call is this, not only to believe in him, but to hold fast to him so that no matter the cost, we belong to Jesus Christ as he abides in us. And we know true joy, even in the face of opposition. So let's pray for that together this morning. Father, I pray this morning that I'm able to just make confession. And perhaps many of us need to make the same confession. I like being a Christian as long as it's not too difficult. Um, I like talking about Jesus as long as nobody's mean about it. And Father, I need to be fortified today. And, And I pray, Lord, that all of us would be strengthened today that you have not called us into um, 
a, you know, per, just perpetual picnic. Lord, you've called us to a very difficult way of life in a difficult world. A world that, that by and large rejected you and nailed you to the cross. And so, Father, I pray that you would remove for us any, any false notion that we might have that, that people should just like me and, and everybody should think I'm great just because I'm, you know, just, just because. Lord, I pray that you would rescue us out of that, that, uh, that lie. That as those who bear your name, as those who trust in you and love you and walk with you, Lord, um, we, we are entering into, always we're entering into dark places. And Lord, we should not expect to be treated better than you were. But Lord, let that be for us a, a, a point of, of gratitude and rejoicing as it was for the apostles. That we, we bear the light in every dark place. Uh, we're not being hated for our personalities or, or, or the place we grew up in or, or, or any, or any you know, human thing. We're being hated for the, the, the one precious, most important thing in all the universe. And so, Lord, let us carry the gospel with boldness. Let us carry the gospel with love. Lord, let us never be a people who return evil for evil. Let us never, Lord, be content to hate in return those who mock us. But Lord, make us more like Christ, who so loved the world that he gave himself, even for those who hated him. Help us, Lord, to, to take hold of a scripture like this today, not to run from it, not to opt out, not to assimilate because it's easier, but Lord, fortify us, strengthen us all the more because we see Jesus Christ and his infinite worth and there is nothing in the world greater, more powerful, scarier, or more alluring than what we have with, with the friendship of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Lord, make us like the apostles, even in hard times, even if we are sorely treated for the name of Christ, would we do cartwheels rejoicing that we were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Lord, I pray that we would love you that much and that we would love the world you've called us into, even if the world does not love us back. We praise you and ask your mercy in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.